Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hello, Evangeline Kookaburra. What? What's Kookaburra? Burra. Burra. It's Spell bird. K-O-O-K-A-B-U-R-R-A, as you should know, because it's your name. <laughs> what, what is a kookaburra? It's a terrestrial tree kingfisher. Duh. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Okay, well, welcome everybody. I'm Mariah Rose. Yeah, you sure are. <laughs> Just keeping on, keeping on. That's right. Keep on trucking, Jerry. <laughs> it just keeps getting better. I'm good at this. You're great at this. Thanks. I needed an ego pump. Yeah. Speaking of pump. <laughs> you don't even know what I was gonna transition into. <laughs> Your body language was great. Hands on hips. Tonight. We'll be pumping out the fireworks because it's um, 4th of July. So to everybody who's listening to this now. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. (laughs) Or maybe it was five years ago. Happy Independence Day, everybody. (laughs) We have zero to celebrate in this country right now. Yeah. (laughs) But we're going to shoot off those fireworks regardless. Well, our neighbors will and possibly set our roof on fire. It's always a gamble in this neighborhood. Well, we can only hope for the best. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're not going to be discussing red, white, and blue specifically. Oh, they're included. But we will be discussing all the colors uh, this week because we'll just get right into it because it's um, an interesting topic that we've been discussing, wanting to do for a long time. Yeah, it is. It's one of those ones that is a nostalgic hot point for Most of us, or many of us, I would say, who grew up of a certain era. But it is one that we keep pushing back and pushing back. And in uh, light of current political affairs, I thought we should have a rainbow celebration. Okay. (laughs) That was your your reasoning? I don't know. (laughs) You heard it here. Laser Graves, the political podcast. (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, this week we are going to be taking a look at the 80s uh, icon. I mean, this is really one of the, the heavy hitters here. Yeah. Rainbow Bright. Okay, Rainbow Bright. This is hitting all the sweet spots. This goes back to like Gem and Teen Witch for you. Like this is your bread and butter here. This is you were the right age, the right gender to be swept up in the Rainbow Bright craze. Were you a fan of the theme song? You'd walk around the house singing it. I don't remember singing the theme song, but yes, I was of the right age. And I would argue we're all of the right gender. It was a fairly inclusive show. It didn't start that way. Speaking of the theme song, I don't know about you, but if you were to just hand it over, mm-hmm. it sounds like a Ramon song to me. 
Huh. I, I never like, thought of it, they, but yeah. If they covered it, I don't think anybody would even give no. it a second thought. No argument. Yeah. Anyway, just a little observation I had. It's your outsider perspective. Did you watch Rainbow Bright, like, secretly? Not, like, secretly. It just... I don't really remember watching a lot of it. I definitely saw the movie, which mm-hmm. we'll discuss. And it was okay, but I was really swept up in Masters of the Universe and uh, Thundercats and stuff yeah. like that. So this wasn't really quite my cup of tea and this is when i was really really young this would have been 84 85 yeah same so watching it as it was coming out i wouldn't really have had any memories from it but i remember a little you know a few years later as it showed on tv catching it here and there and i always thought the character looked really cool you know it was was. a a fun design but no i kind of missed the boat on this one as far as the demographics weren't really for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was for, for a younger group, though, too. So it was one of those transitional from early childhood to mid-childhood kind of shows. Because it was pretty simplistic, but starting to develop slightly more complex plot lines from Sesame Street kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And there were other characters like her that were appearing and had already been kind of present in pop culture. And that's really what got the ball rolling for the development of Rainbow Bright. So if you if you're really an aficionado on Rainbow Bright culture, you'll already know this. But for somebody like myself researching this... Fact number one already surprised me, which was that it was developed by Hallmark, the greeting card company. Oh, yeah. Later went on to do, um, you know, Lonely Housewife holiday specials. Oh, we got to stop here, though, because... Hallmark was one of my early employers. That's right. So <laughs> maybe that's why, is that you just wanted to to pay homage to think, Rainbow Bright. I think they hooked me in early on. Maybe there's like some backwards, you will work for Hallmark, woven into the fabric of Rainbow okay. Bright. There's got to be. Definitely some subliminal messages and occult practices that we'll get to later. Yeah. What's funny about that, though, is I worked at Hallmark and also worked at Hot Topic at the same time. So I would dress like a middle-aged woman, even though I was like 20. And then I would, after work, go to the bathroom, put in a nose ring, put on like extra wing on my eyeliner and put on like a black t-shirt and walk across the mall where I worked at Hot Topic and I would just do double shifts at those places five days a week. Yeah, I think we've discussed this a few times now on the podcast, but it is funny to me because the thought that when you said you were even applying for Hot Topic, which is just for the record... For those of you who don't know us, that that was not our scene. So it made me it highly amused the thought of my wife going to work for that place. Oh, yeah. And it lasted like three months. You couldn't yeah. take it. It was awful. It was really funny. But I applaud you for even trying to get a job there because you just needed a job. And it made as much sense as working at Hallmark. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> it was about the same. <laughs> okay, anyway, Hallmark. So yeah, yeah. in 1984, Hallmark is looking to try and develop a greeting card character that can really appeal to the masses and appeal to children and stuff like that. And do you know who that they who they were in direct competition with? Who they were trying to respond to? Can I guess? Yeah. Strawberry Shortcake? Strawberry Shortcake, yeah. So Strawberry Shortcake was dominating the greeting card industry. Powerhouse. Powerhouse. And this was Hallmark's answer was like, yeah, we got to figure something out. We got to compete. So they tapped this artist, Gigi Santiago, to develop these characters. 
And they're pretty close to how they originally looked. They got a little bit more plump and strawberry shortcake-like. Yeah. But overall, they're pretty much the same. The only big difference was all of them were girls. All the characters were girls at first. And then somebody wisely pointed out the fact that maybe since it's not a girl's greeting card line, they should add a few boys. So they swapped out a few characters and made them into boys so that it would be a little bit more inclusive, which was was a pretty smart idea. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling. And the whole idea was, well, we're going to develop this character, sell greeting cards and, and make some money. But to take it a step further, they thought how we can really draw a lot of appeal to these new characters is to turn it into maybe a special, a TV special. So they were going to do this one-time spin-off animated uh, TV show to introduce the characters of Rainbow Bright, and that would draw people into Hallmark to want to buy the greeting cards and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I think what people weren't prepared for that were developing this character was the immediate mass appeal that it would pull in, which was pretty bonkers. But that animated special, it's called Peril in the Pits, aired June 27th, 1984. It was, uh, this is kind of unique too at the time. This happened a few times. I uh, I know Thundercats did this, but it wasn't specific to a network. It it got to show across all kinds of networks. So it got like broad um, airing and it was instantly just a massive hit. Like it just hit all the right spots for everybody. They loved it. They were so overwhelmed by the success that they were immediately tapped to do, you know, follow up. They're like, you Mm got to do another cartoon. So by, I think, December of that same year, 84, they released the second special, which was called The Mighty Monstrostomark Menace. (laughs) I'm sure you know more (laughs) what that means than me. And then April 85, they did this two-part, the big one that everybody knows, the beginning of Rainbow Land, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. the origin story. (laughs) (laughs) But these were the three specials that really kicked off Rainbow Bright as a cultural phenomenon. And it's kind of fascinating because this could have just gone into nothing land. Yeah. For some reason, right time, right place, right look, uh, everything just clicked into place. Yeah. And this took off. (laughs) Like, we can't even put it into words how insane it became in 1985. Yeah, it was very, very popular. And I I think before we go any further, too, we should kind of give a general premise of the Rainbow Bright program, what it is. Yeah, I mean, for those, I mean, I I have a general idea, but I would imagine a lot of listeners maybe saw an episode in Mm -hmm. passing, but don't actually know the whole mythology and backstory of these characters. Right. And even if you did see it when it came out or in the 80s at some point, I'm sure that you could use a refresher because unlike My Little Ponies, I think it maybe didn't stick in people's mind in the same way for long term or it's marketing. I don't know. Yeah. But the story, the premise, the origin story begins with a human girl named Wisp. Who names their child Wisp? I'll never know. Uh, Hippies. She finds herself on a gray planet and is tasked with bringing color to the land. I like this, actually. I think it's a pretty cool idea. How do you bring color to the land? You got to find the sphere of light, obviously. Yeah, duh. And so she goes on a quest. And on her quest, she befriends a horse named Starlight. Yeah, and I can see... 
Starlight is what immediately tells me between Starlight and um, what's She-Ra's horse. You're thinking Swiftwind. Swiftwind, yes. Between Starlight, S- Starlight and Swiftwind, this is Mariah as a child. Like when I think of us as kids, you know, for me it's going to be D and D and listening to whatever Dio. For you, it's going to be imagining yourself best friends with both of these flying horses and horses that can run on on rainbows. Oh, yeah. And I love it. So Rainbow Bright for me just makes me think of had I have known you as a child, <laughs> I, I just would, I have a pretty good idea. My heart actually aches thinking of Starlight with my little girl mind because so Starlight's a white horse with a rainbow mane and tail. It's not a pegasus. It's not a unicorn. It runs, as you said, on top of rainbows. It's awesome. So I have this memory of being in an apartment and it had this window that would look out at the night sky. And I had heard the starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I thought I was talking to starlight (laughs) and it was like a little prayer. I would make a wish to starlight out in the night sky. And you thought the clouds were going to part and a rainbow was going to (laughs) come down directly to your window. Yeah. And he was going to prance down to you and take you for a ride. Oh, yes. Oh, little Mariah. (laughs) So she's with starlight and she also makes a little friend, a sprite, who are like fluffy little creatures. They have round bodies. This one in particular is named Twink. He's got he's got white fluffy fur and then just arms and legs and like star antlers. They're cute. Yeah, we used to have, I don't know if we still do have his little figure. We've got Rainbow Bright sitting over there. Wow, it's uh, between a ventriloquist dummy, Gizmo, and Alf. <laughs> I think Pee-wee's over there too. That's quite the... The motley crew on that chair over yeah, there. Yep, that's our house. But I did. I I remember as a kid seeing the the toys, the the little plushy toys. Yeah, his always stood out because it was a fun design. Yeah, Twink, and there are a bunch of these sprites. They all have names. So Wisp, soon to be Rainbow Bright, currently still Wisp. She finds a color belt which she will wear, and rescues the color kids. The color kids are muted versions of colorful children who have been trapped by the king of shadows are you following yeah i love (laughs) all of this already i mean king of shadows that's awesome cool names yeah yeah. for sure uh together this friend crew that is developing they find the spirit of light and that in conjunction with the color belt defeats the king of shadows and frees all of these sprites that he has trapped So the once gray planet is now saturated with color and renamed Rainbowland. Okay, so let's stop right there. This is awesome, considering that this was all just to try and sell greeting cards. I know, (laughs) it's it's a lot of effort. Pretty awesome. It reminds me of Masters of the Universe, how that was just a toy. And Mm -hmm. they were like, well, we've got to come up with some sort of mythology to sell this toy. And it just gets more and more elaborate. Should also be known that... The story of Rainbow Bright develops over time through all these different specials and Mm -hmm. even a a one season of a show. Like, that's how the story develops. So it wasn't like a one-time thing where you watch this one movie and that's all you get. No. So after they've um, renamed Rainbow Land, uh, Wisp is renamed Rainbow Bright, and she and the color kids and all of the sprites become leaders of color in the universe. What does this mean, you ask? You ask yourself, how can one lead color? 
It's just too big a task for a bunch of kids in sprites and a saucy rainbow running horse. Because did I mention Starlight is a very saucy fellow? He, we should do an audio clip. Yeah. Let's give a little little zinger from Starlight. <laughs> you can talk. Talk? I'm Starlight, the most wonderful horse in the universe. Of course I can talk. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the thing I remember the most about Rainbow Bright was that character. He's got spirit. He does. All right. So let me explain. The color kids who are named, they have good names. So we've got to call them out here. Red Butler, Lala Orange, Canary Yellow, Patio Green. I'm thinking okay. you're you're sensing some Irish here. Yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. Buddy Blue, Indigo, and Shy Violet. Okay. So they are each in charge of a color-coded group of sprites. So their sprites match their colors. So Color Kids is like the gang. Yep. And they all are in partnership with Rainbow Bright to overtake the evil that's trying to make the world dull. Well, temporarily, they've already succeeded. And now the sprites mine color crystals from the color color caves. (laughs) Like you do. Yeah. So these color crystals are then processed into sprinkles, which bring color to the universe via the color console located <laughs> in the color castle. Wow, that's <laughs> a lot of color. Uh, that's. I'd say up until this point, my experience with color-coded uh, cartoons was Voltron. Oh, and yeah. it was um that was the defender of the universe and it seemed less complicated than than it's this pretty premise. complicated. This is pretty out there. Generally the episodes are the color color crew. There's too many C's here. Trying to work and then having to deal with villains because you have to have villains. Uh their primary villains are murky and lurky. One is the thinker and one is like the dummy that follows along. Yeah. Uh and apparently they just dislike color. Also, also, there's an Earth boy who makes occasional jaunts into their world. His name is Brian, and he also has a dog named Boy. They sometimes team up with Rainbow Bright. Okay, cool. So that's the group there then, huh? Yeah, that's the general premise. Yeah, and so these first three specials uh, came out on VHS if, by the Children's Video Library, which was, you know, this distribution oh, yeah. company that put out a bunch of classics. We have one of them for sure. Anyway, they put them out on VHS, and now that they were in the hands of everybody, after seeing this aired on TV, like, kids could have it, you know, bought and and brought home. And that's what really sparked this to go pretty mainstream and pretty Mm -hmm. crazy. Then, after those three specials, there was a movie that came out that was, like, solidifying the powerhouse of Rainbow Bright. What was that movie? Rainbow Bright and the Star Stealer. Okay, it, this is the one that I've seen. Yeah, so in that movie, we learned that all of the light in the universe must pass through a diamond planet called Spectra. Okay. Which sounds like, is that our internet provider? No, that's Spectrum. Oh, okay. And is, okay. <laughs> but I do feel like our signal has to like travel the universe just to make it back to us. <laughs> so, it's so slow. Yeah, so all the light must pass through a diamond planet before moving to Earth. So basically the same. Unfortunately for planet Earth, there is a dark princess who is also a diamond collector. And she wants a diamond planet, obviously. So this puts Earth into a rough spot as it passes into darkness. Um, was this a scientific show? No. It was not. That sounds pretty cool. Diamond planets are cool. 
Anyway, who cares? Rainbow Bright, Starlight, they team up with a boy named Chris, K-R-Y-S, who has a robot horse. Oh, wow. Yep. So Chris, like Crystal from Planet Spectra. Does it also have a little bit of an attitude issue? I don't remember. I feel like there was some back and forth between <laughs> horses. Okay. All right. um, blah, blah, blah. Stuff happens. Spoiler alert. Rainbow Bright saves Earth. Okay. Oh, well, the universe, really. Actually, big spoiler alert. Rainbow Bright always saves the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's a pretty good superhero. You know, she's supposed to travel through the universe, too. The original prototype for the doll had a helmet, like a space helmet on. Okay. And and those moon boots. That's why she's got those huge boots is because she's cool. supposed to like travel through space. Oh. But they took off the helmet because it just wasn't really viable for for doing the toy line, which, oh. you know, so that brings us to the toy line, which really most people know about with Rainbow Bright is even if you haven't seen the show, she was plastered everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so you don't think we're kind of... Um, Spinning this larger than it really was. Okay. In 1985, Rainbow Bright was the biggest toy line in Mattel's history. Really? <laughs> yes. Yikes. And they spent just in one year alone $35 million on just promoting the toy line. What? That's not even the profits. In 80s money, too. Yeah. it's. I read Inflation 70-something. Um, that was just for promotion. It became wow. a billion dollar property. And this is in a year oh my because gosh. it went crazy. Like, so the VHS came out, then they did the toy line, they did the play sets, but then it just kind of got crazier and crazier. It expanded into the typical, you know, lunch boxes, the cereal, board games, coloring books, books on tape, clothing, eventually like theme park shows, all of this wow. in the span of like one year. It just blew up and went bonkers so all of this kind of heavy saturation really dominated the mid 80s for children's pop culture Mm -hmm. so when people look back and they know the name or they see the image but they're like why what was the deal it's because the marketing for this uh, was so widespread (laughs) that you could not live in the 80s and not know who rainbow bright was so it's pretty incredible. I mean, all things considered, they accomplished their goals well beyond. I don't know how sustainable that would be because no. you you burn bright in the universe and your color <laughs> will fade. <laughs> but it did get bigger and bigger. You know, they were doing these commercials that are fun. I want to play one commercial because it features uh, Heather O'Rourke, the little girl from Poltergeist. Oh. Seeing for the first time a rainbow bright figure and being amazed by the doll. So here you go. Hi, I brought rainbow bright to meet you. Rainbow bright? Who's she? She's my friend and she has the power of the rainbow to make you happy. <gasps> She's beautiful. Look at her hair and her purple star and shiny dress. Rainbow bright, you make me happy. <laughs> rainbow bright makes everyone happy. <laughs> Bright has a purple star in her cheek and a rainbow star in her dress. She's by Mattel. So, as you can see, you're getting your A-listers now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, your child stars. And one interesting note that we didn't go into was the, the cast, really, the crew. We're not going to get into all of that. No. But Rainbow Bright herself was played by a kid, and that was pretty rare in those days. All the rest were played by adults. I know that uh, the main bad guy, 
is the same voice as Optimus Prime from yeah. Transformers, but she was an actual little girl. So I think this idea of trying to still keep it connected to to the right audience was important to them. So having a, a famous child star appear in a commercial to sell the product is probably going to go over well too. The other big part of this was the the albums. So the album? they also created music as you know, you hear the theme song and stuff like that, but they made an actual record, 10 songs that became a massive hit as well. The album was released through Disney. So this is the interesting thing is uh, Hallmark created the character. The French uh, cartoon company, I think it's called like Daish or something like that, put it out. They're they're defunct now. They put out the cartoon. Then Mattel signed the deal to do all of the product and Mm -hmm. clothing and dolls and stuff like that. But then Disney got in the fold and Disney's record company, uh, Buena Vista, put out the albums that also became a huh. huge hit. So it's like the second you have a billion dollar property, everybody wants a piece of the pie. Yeah. So Disney gets involved. They release this album, which was created by a husband and wife duo, Michael and Patricia Silvershare. And it's 10 original songs. Kids love it. Uh, and it goes crazy. It's actually pretty fun. It's pretty goofy. These guys are the ones who also did theme songs for like Tailspin and all these other shows. So they were like Disney Pros. alumni. Yeah. And they come in and they knock this out of the park. And the the big one that you're going to know was the main, the main Rainbow Bright song from the record called uh, Paint a Rainbow in Your Heart. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you remember yeah, yeah. this. For those who don't, let's have a little refresher of this jam. catchy it's doing everything it needs to do it was such a hit you do what you have to do when you're popular in the 80s you put out a christmas album (laughs) which we don't have surprisingly we're pretty good collection of nostalgic christmas albums we do that's kind of an odd oddly specific collection yeah so we'll have to get that but what do you remember about the products i just want to slow down for a second now that we've you know talked about just how massive they blanketed pop culture with products you could buy. Mm-hmm. Did you own a lot of Rainbow Bright stuff? Well, I was pretty poor. My parents were in college, but we they did buy me a few things and they were my my prize possessions. Specifically, I had a, a Starlight figure. Oh, really? I had I think I had Twink and Rainbow Bright, the smaller hard plastic ones, mm-hmm. but I remember rubbing the tail on that so much that the color started to wear off. <laughs> and then I later got the plushie of Rainbow Bright, like the stuffed animal. She had a, like a plastic kind of cabbage patch style head. You're the one that we've got right at Yeah, and the there's like an iridescent sheen over her blue dress, and I loved it so hard that it started to peel off. <laughs> so I did have that, and then one year for Halloween, I went as Rainbow Bright. Oh, wow, that's a big deal. Yeah, but it was... Um, not the homemade one. It was like a full plastic mask, the kind that they made in the 80s where your eyes look out holes and then you have like a weird sort of papery dress. Oh, with the little string, like yep. the elastic string that goes, oh, classic 80s then. Yeah. Yeah, I had an E.T. one of those and an Inspector Gadget one. 
Ooh. Yeah. When I in '85, I, I was Inspector Gadget. I remember that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So this is long before Rainbow Bright would l- later uh, make a cultural splash as um, the quintessential sexy girl costume for. Halloween. <laughs> oh, yeah. One year I went looking because I wanted to go as Rainbow Bright for Halloween. And I was like, why are they making her so sexy? It's like the go-to. You have oh. to have sexy Rainbow Bright. That's actually one of our favorite lifelong games is we think of a stupid Halloween costume idea and then look it up. And there it is. Like, eggs and bacon. It's sexy somehow. And Freddy Krueger. Well, <laughs> one year I made sexy Freddy Krueger my costume. Oh, yeah. I forgot you did that. <laughs> You, you were can, sexy Freddy Krueger. I forgot that. You can find them, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went as um, Zombie Charlie Sheen that year. We have some off offbeat. But uh, the two and a half men version of Charlie Sheen. <laughs> but as a zombie. <laughs> that was a pretty good year. We have some offbeat costume ideas, for sure. But anyway, back to it. I really, really loved it. And their merchandising hit even the, the poor. <laughs> yeah, even the poor kids could afford it. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Well, the merchandising, when you're that big, you're going to get the attention of everybody. And one of my favorite things is Rainbow Bright, like so many other classic cartoons we love, got swept up in the 80s satanic panic. Oh, no. (laughs) This is so good. Okay, so we've talked about wanting to do an episode on satanic panic. Well, it'd be like a multi-series kind of episode series. I don't know if we'll do that, because the more we dig into it, the more intense it gets. But I love when we can bring it up from time to time in yeah. episodes. And, th- you know, D&D, metal music, all that stuff, gets that's pretty common with Satanic Panic. But cartoons were often uh, on the chopping block as well. Specifically, mm-hmm. there's certain ones like Master of the Universe, for sure. Thundercats, for sure. Um, the Smurfs got... Oh, yeah, I oh, remember that. They were hardcore, like... Um, Christian conservative groups going after the Smurfs being <sighs> being very much swept up in the satanic panic. And how, you might ask? Well, <laughs> this really kind of comes down to a book that came out in 1986. So this is a year after Rainbow Bright's up and running and everybody else is up and running. There is a book put out by this really kooky... Um, that feels gentle. Yeah, very, I'm, being, I'm trying to be nice. Texas Minister... This young guy named Phil Phillips, and he puts out a book called Turmoil in the Toy Box. Phil Phillips is Phil his Phillips, name? Phil Phillips, yep. Okay. And he put out a book basically detailing all the ways in which children's cartoons are uh, pushing witchcraft and the occult and satanic imagery onto the children and youth of America and corrupting everybody, how we have to fight back against it, which is, sure, I mean, that's, who doesn't think that when they see the Smurfs? Obviously. He also went on a TV show for this guy, Pastor Gary Greenwald, who is equally off his his rocker, and wanted to have him on as his guest to discuss the themes from his book. Okay. And I, if anybody is into satanic panic stuff like I am, I just love any kind of old Christian VHS tapes I find because it's so bizarre to hear them talk and like the reasoning. You can find this on YouTube. It's like a 10-part you know, show. Mm -hmm. Each one's like 10 minutes each. Hearing these two guys try and rationalize and discuss satanic imagery in children's cartoons of the 80s is 
wild because this really happened. This is not an SNL skit. Like and this, people took it seriously? Very seriously. This was a huge selling book. I mean, this was a staple in churches in the 80s. If you, even when you watch this, if you look under the comments, everybody's like, yep, we had that in our church. We had that in our preschool. Like this was, this was your go-to guide for why not to watch Masters of the Universe or She-Ra mm. or stuff like that. I want to play one clip of them just setting it up, just so you can get a sense of of what you're dealing with. Okay. Hello, I'm Gary Greenwald, and over the past several years, the Eagle's Nest Ministries has exposed certain things like rock and roll music, Dungeons and Dragons, marijuana, and even the New Age movement, and now we feel there's another attack upon our society. Okay, before we even get into Rainbow Bright, my favorite is probably the Smurfs, because this guy, Phil Phillips, comes up with this theory that the Smurfs are blue because they're all dead. Oh, yeah, because they're blue dead people. Yeah, they're blue dead people. But because it's also only a environment of men, they're all gay dead people. So gay zombies? Gay zombies. Okay. And the only woman is Smurfette, yep. who used to be a boy but transitioned into a girl through magic. Uh, <laughs> and this is how they're saying this show is evil because uh, you're watching uh, gay zombies uh, on children's television. How did, how did they get to that leap with Smurfette? Well, through one of the episodes, Papa Smurf or somebody, I don't remember how she gets converted from a boy into a girl. Okay. But it it's really very entertaining. It's... Um, it's something special. I loved that show. You remember the cat Asriel? Yeah, I love Smurfs too. It was awesome. I was troubled though by like how this worked. Like how did Papa Smurf have so many kids? Where was where was the other parent needed to produce kids? And I remember thinking like were they hatched from eggs? What's <laughs> what's happening? How how does this work? You know what's funny? I think about that with all sorts of shows like Rainbow Bright. In the 80s, there were a lot of shows where, uh, think about, um, what was the other one? Not My Little Pony. Oh, Strawberry Shortcake. Where it's basically just children existing in this world without any adult supervision in their own weird children worlds. (laughs) Like, what? none of this makes sense. That was just kind of the way it was. Anyway, moving beyond the Smurfs and satanic imagery of Thundercats, uh, we get to Rainbow Bright, and they conclude that she must be involved in the occult because if you look on Rainbow Bright's cheek, there's a little star. Mm-hmm. But the star is upside down because it's a pentagram. Even Rainbow Bright was not safe from the wide-stretching arm of the satanic panic in wow. the 80s. That seems really like a, a weak argument, just start to finish. It's really weird when you hear this guy talk, like, how he got into this. How did he become the self-proclaimed, like, you know, specialist on all things occult in in children's cartoons? He tells this story matter-of-factly, and as he was telling it, I'm like, wait, 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 slow down and back up here, because he says he was traveling across somewhere, state or something. Someplace. Had some time to kill and went into a children's toy store. So he's a predator? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) To look around... And buys a toy. I'm presuming, based on the description, that it was um, Skeletor. But he talks about how he bought it, and he put it in the back of his car. Okay. 
Keep in mind, this is a grown man. Please tell me it's haunted. No, and he's looking at it and starts to be called by the voice of God and told this is a satanic toy and it's your mission to like rid the world of satanic cartoons. And this is what got him going down this crazy project of hyper analyzing every cartoon and finding evil imagery within every cartoon. Wow. To the point of saying the star on Rainbow Bright's cheek must be a pentagram. Oh, I mean, I wish that that seemed like it wasn't a thing. But then even now we have the like the pizza situation with lizard people. And, you know, it's still kind of happening. Burning Harry Potter books. Yeah, it still happens. It's wild. It is really wild. But yeah, so poor Rainbow Bright, you know, just had to run off on a rainbow and (laughs) get away from it all. There is plenty of evil in the world. We don't need to make it crazy. It's just so weird. But Rainbow Bright ultimately was pretty short run. I think that one season I read. Yep. Like, talk about burning bright and then just fading away. It's pretty wild when you think about it. So 85, like 1985 to 86 was all Rainbow Bright. Mm -hmm. And then after that, uh, they tried. You know, they tried to kind of keep her relevant. They changed her look. They kept doing clothing. Uh, uh, the clothing on the dolls would change just slightly yeah. to try and keep up with the looks. But it just really wasn't still holding the public interest like it had for that that year. Yeah. So I think sometime in the 2000s, nostalgia for childhood, like our childhoods began creeping in. That's kind of when I first noticed it. I didn't really realize what was happening, though, until we were in too deep. So... It makes me think of, you know, those weird drawings where it's like a diner with James Dean and Marilyn Monroe and Elvis all together. Or, um, I don't know, Barbie collectors, like the strange women that collect like $500 Barbie dolls. Just all the weird stuff that boomers are nostalgic about. Prior to the 2000s, I just thought that that was specific to that age group. Like uh, to, to boomers. Yes. Yeah. No, we find that um, millennials are probably more guilty than boomers of yeah. being nostalgic. Yeah. I thought it was only like old dudes who bought the car that they wish they'd had when they were 15 or whatever. And then it started happening to our generation. Of course, there is the collectibles, you yeah. know, circle. That's usually, I think, where it starts. But, um, you know, they're now selling, buying all of our nostalgic toys for ridiculous amounts you and i have found at thrift stores you know she and he-mans and sold them for insane amounts oh yeah people just are nuts about them. my wrestling toys i had all my wwf figures from that were mine growing up from like 90 and 91 i sold them just a few months ago for like an absurd amount of money yeah and not because i put that price on there i just did a starting bid and they i had no clue yeah. I just let the market dictate what they wanted to pay for it, and it's out of control. Like, it is crazy, the nostalgia for the 80s right now. Yeah, and, you know, we've added our own special twist, remakes. Our generation loves, or is at least addicted to, a good remake. Um, do we do we really love them, though? Do we need those remakes? Do we need to bring back everybody? 
My Little Ponies sure did it successfully. Boy, that's probably the biggest success story of them all was that reboot of My Little Pony. Yeah. So regardless, in 2003, it happened, at least for the first time, with Rainbow Bright with merchandising. Yeah. So mostly her her rebirths have been via merchandising. And then in 2009, the 25th Rainbowversary, that's just a word. Okay. I, that's what I made up. I mean, if it sticks, it sticks. TM. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so a cartoon was relaunched. The mission for Rainbow Bright Now has expanded from just bringing color to the world, but also hope and happiness to the universe. Oh, that's nice. That's like, a... She didn't have a big enough job already? I know. That's a, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders. It's a tall order for the color crew. Yeah, this whole era, you know, She-Ra, He-Man, they all got reboots. And yeah. some of them have taken off. Some of them haven't. Gem and the Holograms, that movie was a... Huge failure. Uh, it just, some of them take, some of them don't. Yeah. But the nostalgia is definitely real and it's here to stay. I mean, coming from a guy who collects VHS tapes, mm-hmm. I would say probably my favorite moment for remakes and, and anything nostalgia being reinserted into pop culture would be in 2018. Do you remember? Mm-mm. There was this new podcast created dedicated to all things 80s. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Called Laser Graves. Best one ever. Best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. You got me good. Okay. Uh, so did anything okay. modern take off with Rainbow Bright? Well, in this one, she, they added Puppy Bright to kind of help her and the color crew. Uh, it was a marketing ploy. They had made a bunch of dolls, but there were delays. So they had the show come out, but there were delays in the manufacturing and production. So it kind of, it was just like a a no-go situation. And following this was a second attempt to revive the story, but it was all online. And again, it didn't go anywhere. So then they didn't just like learn from their mistakes. Instead, in 2015, they tried again. But this time they tried with toys, books, and women's clothing not children's clothing oh for like women in their late 30s early 40s wanting to to get on this nostalgia train so i think this one shows that they were starting to recognize that they weren't going to get like my little ponies did that like second wave of young girls instead they were only leaning on that nostalgia it's very similar to a lot of the like horror movie nostalgia and stuff too, is you're not really getting younger audience, you're really targeting the older audience that, that wants this stuff and can afford to buy it. Yeah, except for I don't think they realized there wasn't a very high demand. Not at all. I you know, and that's the other thing is some of these cartoons, like My Little Pony I can see rebooting because it's easy to do, but something as specific as Rainbow Bright or Gem That was a time capsule item that now is nostalgic because those who knew it see the imagery and they're reminded of it. But trying to reintroduce it sometimes is kind of, uh, you know, you're you're rolling the dice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that having watched and been involved in the My Little Ponies of the 80s, it was so different. The new one, it was just like they they're like they're little ponies and they have things on their butts. But the contemporary version that our children got into it was super different so it was like they just took an old idea and made it fresh and new but i don't th- believe that they tried that with rainbow brighter it, it just wasn't as successful well, they made her a little older i think she's like a teenager now yeah. or something like that but there are, are other cooler things like sailor moon that kids could get into so. yeah i think the competition's just too big to try and rely on like rebuilding a nostalgic brand and then the reason that it didn't catch on with 
people our age with women of our age, I was thinking two ideas. One, I don't think as many women, I know there are some, but I don't think as many women hold on to their like vintage toys or feel a strong need to collect vintage toys, let alone reboots of those toys. I just don't think that it's as popular. Well, there's definitely a lot of female collectors out there. Actually, funny you should say that because there is a museum. Uh-huh. Uh, my, uh, there's a Rainbow Bright Museum. Cool. Did you know about that? No. Yeah, it's run by the lady who does uh, rainbowbright.net or whatever, the big website that's all things Rainbow Bright. It's out of her house, I'm pretty sure, but I saw a tour of it on YouTube. Fun. And it's insane. It's like the largest collection I of Rainbow it. Bright memorabilia in the world. And it's like two stories worth of rooms filled with stuff. And yeah, she's one of those people who is your age and hit it at the right time mm-hmm. and kind of took it as her her thing to do in life or calling okay. was to collect all things Rainbow Bright. But yeah, I agree that I don't know if there is as dedicated and as loyal of collectors as some other people out there. You know, and I know there are female collectors that are dead serious about it, so I don't mean to besmirch their good name. But I will think, I was thinking about it, and I will say that there is another idea that I have, and I think it is the age range, the target age range. I feel like she was targeting an age range that was, and I kind of said that earlier, a little younger, just Mm -hmm. slightly younger. And then the next year, we have She-Ra coming out, and we have Punky Brewster. So those were kind of hitting the same buttons. Mm -hmm but maybe at a slightly more potent age. So perhaps there is more nostalgia for things like that because she was really intriguing to me when I was five and six, but I don't feel as nostalgic for that because that's earlier in my childhood. It's I I do feel nostalgic for her, of course, but I feel like the older ones with more character development were perhaps a little bit more lasting. Well, and it, it does seem a little weird if you see a you know forty year old hipster woman wearing a gem in the hologram shirt. You go, yeah, that makes sense because probably part of what defined this person to be the more eccentric artist they are today was watching mm-hmm. a more eccentric cartoon like Gem in the Holograms. But to see that same person wearing like a rainbow bright shirt is a little weird. It's a little, it's like wearing a Sesame Street shirt in a way. Yeah, a little babyish. Yeah. Or strawberry shortcake. It's the same things. It's just a little babyish. Yeah, it's not quite as as cool and stylized as something like She-Ra or something. So I could see that. I I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So maybe just missing that nostalgia age sweet spot. Well, it's interesting because with these deep dives, usually at the end we see this resurgence and it's like and this is how it's come back and and Mm -hmm. taken back over but in the case of rainbow bright i think her story is best left in the 80s i think that that's that was her one big year uh to to shine and did so completely dominated everything around her and then pretty much should have been left around that mid-80s category. Yeah, just go rewatch it if you're feeling nostalgic. Yeah, I think it's cool if you, you know, have some of the toys sitting around and or shirt or whatever you that's really cool, but I don't see it really ever picking back up to the no. same way. So it's kind of fun sometimes to just look back at something that happened in the 80s and and say, you know, it really is uniquely 80s 
and really couldn't happen again the way it did in the 80s. And this is one of those cases. Yeah, it's such a great show, though. I mean, I think for all of us who were there to really enjoy it, it's thrilling. Starlight is prancing through my heart on a rainbow right now. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Saying something super sassy. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. I know it's... It's fun to balance out the topics that we do. We want to be all inclusive as well. Everywhere. And sometimes people just want to hear things like Rainbow Bright. And so if you grew up on Rainbow Bright, I hope this brought uh, color and joy to your heart because that was her mission. Yeah. And we got to wrap this up because it is currently uh, noon and I'm already hearing fireworks being shot off. Yeah, sorry. That started to break the fourth wall real quick, but (laughs) (laughs) we're trying to get this done before all the fireworks go off. Otherwise, we're screwed. Yep. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, As always, if you want to check out back episodes, we're at lasergraves.com, anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for the support. Check out all of our friends. We share all their podcasts on our stories. And um, yeah, hopefully this was a fun little trip down memory lane and, and you enjoyed it. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.